0: Welcome to the Asking Why podcast. Our goal is to get to the root issues of systemic problems using a theological and psychological lens. We hope you enjoy. Putman Restoration is a proud sponsor of the Asking Why podcast. Putman Restoration specializes in commercial disaster services, including water damage, fire, smoke, mold, and storm. Their goal and desire is to get your properties up and running as soon as possible after disaster strikes. Hospitals, schools, hotels, and large municipal buildings malls churches and large commercial properties are their specialty managed properties nationwide no problem putman restoration services their clients nationwide they are strategically partnered with elite restoration companies throughout the u.s and canada giving their clients resources during disasters where normal companies would be tapped out trust the professionals at putman restoration when disaster strikes visit them online at www.putmanrestoration.com or give them a call at 318-453-5029 Hey guys, this is episode 93. Let me tell you a little bit about it. Andy Bond is going to be on. He's a biblical counselor and his friend Jeremy Pierce. We're going to be talking about the sex offender registry. We're going to talk about the three tiers of the offenders list, who's on that, and how it affects them, their families, their children. And we're going to talk about how the church can be a support for those people who are the least of these and who are really struggling. It's going to be a nuanced conversation where we cover kind of the hows, the whys, the whats of how a person ends up being on that registers list and just give us a a bigger understanding of who those people are and how we can minister to them. So I know it's going to be a difficult conversation and very nuanced, and we hope you enjoy it, and I hope that it opens your heart and your mind to things that um, you can be a part of. God bless you. Welcome to the Asking Why podcast. I'm your host, Clint Davis, and this is episode 93. We have the day... Um, returning guest, I think he's been on the most podcast so far. Your favorite. If I've had one of those little buttons that had the hand cheering. We do it. Yes. Andy Bond, one of our biblical counselors here at Clint Davis Counseling. Um, and we have with him his friend, Jeremy Pierce. Jeremy, thanks for coming on, man. I appreciate it. Thank you. Jeremy has a ministry, uh, Crossroads of Hope, and mm-hmm. so we're going to hear a little bit about that today. I'm going to go ahead and give a pre-trigger warning uh, for this episode. I know we have some of those sometimes We're going to be talking about the sex offender registry and what that means, what that is, who's on that, and then how we as the church um, can help those people. And also, what are some things maybe we're missing uh, in the area of that ministry and some toxic ways we think about it, uh, some good ways we think about it, and all of the in-between. So, if you have anything that's extremely personal to this or that could be triggering, you know, maybe an episode you should skip or watch when you're in a better place – and definitely maybe not in the car with kids or uh, kind of younger folks. So I'm going to give that that warning ahead of time. And let's get started. Jeremy, tell me a little bit about um, who you are, where you're from, your story.
1: Sure. Well, uh, you already didn't mention my name, Jeremy Pierce. I was born and raised here in the Shreveport area, primarily out in Keithville, south of town, out in the sticks, if you will. Uh, went to school here, graduated in 97, uh, ended up going in the military, spent eight years in the Navy, went around, enjoyed that time, and then with children, decided to get out. Took a job in Denver for a few years, did that, and then uh, the economy brought us back here, and we've mm-hmm. been back in Shreveport ever since. So. What was
0: your job in the Navy?
1: I was in nuclear engineering. I was a nuclear machinist mate.
0: Okay, awesome. Was that on uh, big ships, subs? Started what? on a sub, and okay. then I had
1: a back injury, ended up on a carrier. Okay. Two different worlds.
0: Yeah, I bet. Yeah, my dad was on nuke subs uh, <laughs> yeah. back in the day, so he's a big Navy guy. And then, oh, I loved it. You know, did the Army, so thank you mm-hmm. for your service, for sure. No, man. you're welcome. Okay, so you got back to Shreveport, and, mm-hmm. and kind of how did this Crossroads of Hope come about?
1: uh well in 2013 actually 2012 i had an i was accused of an offense that i did not commit but i realized that uh <laughs> doesn't take much to be accused around here uh and then the system went through that experience uh, in the best interest of our family we took a plea deal so i ended up finding myself on the registry and so uh let's see i got home in 2015 and didn't really know what all was going on with my life had to rebuild it had to start all over um my my situation cost us just to try to afford legal defense, ran out of money, couldn't do anything from there. Had to just really found ourselves at rock bottom. Um, And over a number of years, uh, let's see, what was it? 2020, during the COVID year of all years, that's when I really kind of went into an introspective part of my own life. How do I rebuild? What do I do? Mm -hmm. I was getting closer to 40 years of age. I need to do, (laughs) this is the first half of my life has been a disaster in a lot of ways. I don't want to spend the second half of my life doing that Mm -hmm. and so i started really kind of going on a more spiritual level something's got to be deeper something's got to be more so god and i had a lot of conversations and throughout the time of covid the idea of a church got put on my mind um which didn't make sense to me
0: so you had been on the registry at this point for like seven years
1: uh You said
0: 2013.
1: 2013 is when I went to, got arrested. 2015, I came home August of 2015. So it'd been about five years. Okay. Um, So I'd been dealing with that, and part of that time frame, you know, my wife and my family had to deal with some repercussions. We can get into that if you'd like later. But the main thing, as far as the ministry concerned, uh, I actually, as I've told Andy before, it was the weirdest thing. I was driving home, and there was a church that was up for sale, and I felt God telling me to call the realtor, which made no sense because clearly I can't afford it. Why am I going to do it? I, looking back at it, it was more of an obedience thing, and I didn't understand it all, but in about a let's see, in a year, a year later, the idea of launching Crossroads of Hope was put on my heart, and the ministry was launched that way. And it was a ministry designed with the idea that there are so many people that are on the registry that are not welcome in church or can't be, don't feel comfortable going to church, whatever it may be, Mm-hmm. Um, or even if the registrants, not what the family's welcome, but not the registrant, it just splits up families. And this was an idea that God put on my heart to be able to allow families to reunite, come back together, heal, and be able to worship as it should be.
0: Right. So the church, the church for you was man there, you know, you knew what it was like to be, to take a plea deal, to mm-hmm. have not done the thing, but to have to work through the system. And now you're held to these, you know, yeah. these standards, which we'll get to in a minute. Um, And you're thinking, man, there are a lot of other people out there like that, whether they did commit the offense or whether they didn't, who need the gospel, who need community.
1: Yeah, whether you did it or not is irrelevant. Once you land on the registry, you're all lumped in together. Uh, The way the world works, or society here especially, uh, works is if you're on the registry, you're viewed as the worst of the worst. Um, If you will, a lot of times this term is brought about nowadays. You're like the modern-day leper. Uh So cast you out. Laws are passed. You can't go here, can't go there. Um, and some of the churches due to insurance, uh, liabilities due to, um, ignorance of the registry and who the individuals on the registry are by church members, put pressure on the leadership. It could be the elders. It, there's a number of different reasons, but whatever it is, doesn't matter if they can't go there. God still needs to be able to the gospel has to go forth. Mm-hmm. How do we do that? Instead of waiting for them to find a way to get to church, come off the registry, whatever, which could be 25 years or a lifetime on the registry, we decided to move forward and just meet you where you are. How do we do that? That was the question. And the qu- answer to that we saw through COVID. And that was when uh, in COVID days, everybody got treated like an offender at that point. All the churches were shut down, right? Mm-hmm. Couldn't go. We're all in the same basket. What happened? The churches went online in a lot of ways they created facebook blah, 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 blah. and we found a platform a method that um we have folks that are not on the registry that are able to be online do the things we work on back end get all that content put it online and people are able to worship on sundays together as a family maybe for the first time in years wow
0: tell us what uh for <clears throat> most listeners we were kind of talking about this before the podcast but what's the sex offender registry and what are the tiers (laughs) so i think everybody you know you said it and everybody kind of lumps it together so let's get real clear for people who are listening on what is it and then who's who's on it
1: yeah so the federal government puts out guidelines uh sorna to be able to basically create a general guideline of three-tier system that's what they prefer that's kind of what they suggest tier one is your lower tiered offenders. Tier two is your mid-range and tier three would be considered your more egregious offenders. Okay. Um, So tier one, give me an example. Uh, And this is going to be kind of maybe a educational moment and an alarming moment, but we find children being lumped onto tier one. Mm. This could be something many of our children have uh, cell phones, right? So you go to school and you're not thinking anything about it. They're going in, they're taking pictures, being ignorant of what they're doing they take pictures of themselves and send them well now you just had a potential sex offense because that's sexting that's distribution of child pornography whatever it may be they can end up on a on a tier one level children mm-hmm. and we're finding more and more of that uh happening um tier, and this is different state to state right yes the okay. states do vary uh some of them don't go by the tier systems uh some of them do some it, it could be 10 years here in louisiana it is uh for tier one Uh, Oh, I'm sorry, 15 years. 15 years it is. Then it's 25 years for Tier 2 and lifetime for Tier 3. If your Tier 3 might be more of, you know, forcible rape, aggravated rape, those types of offenses. Tier 2 could be, uh, I don't know all the laws off the top of my hand, but um, oral sexual battery, things of that nature. Uh, Just a plethora of different things. So you have to be educated on what that is to understand. Not all of them are the same. I don't know if that helps you.
0: Yeah. And this is, so it's all adult to minor.
1: No, adult to adult, adult to minor, minor to minor. doesn't matter. Um, they're taking, what you'll find is the laws are being passed now where they're moving, removing, uh, age requirements Mm -hmm. and you're here. My understanding, I'm not a lawyer, but what I've read is you have children that are as young as 10 years of age being held culpable for their actions. Mm hmm at 10 how many kids really understand what they're doing yeah i know 25 year olds that don't understand what they're doing (laughs) so it's really kind of a scary factory that is being created without the knowledge uh most people don't have an understanding of that of the world going on around them they just turn on the news hear sex offender and oh well they're all rapists hiding in bushes of parks ready to jump on my child that's not true right 90 percent plus or probably not going to be in that category
0: mm-hmm. so tier three is the category that most of the very you know what what you would consider what people think of sex offenders to be yes and then tier two and yes. tier one are. The,
1: and the majority of the people on the register are going to be tier one tier two
0: okay so when you pull up you know sex offender map mm-hmm. in your neighborhood who, who are what do those does it tell you what
1: tier they're on uh, varies from state to state. Uh-huh. Uh, for example, I believe Oregon, my understanding there is if unless you're a tier three, you're not even on the public registry. You still have to register, but it's not made public. Mm-hmm. Here in Louisiana, you still have it. Yeah.
0: Everybody uh, shows up, mm-hmm. right? Yep. yep.
1: Not only your home, but also your place of employment. Mm-hmm. So then that creates a whole other animal because an employer, if I'm wanting to hire, my business could be put on the registry and I didn't even know it mm-hmm. if I hire someone. So it makes it an employment crisis as well.
0: Yeah, I want to make sure you know we say this because I said I think we you know I like to give caveats, but you know this conversation is not about that people don't need consequences for offending. sure right? absolutely.
1: No, if you make mistakes or you make a poor decision in life, you absolutely should have to deal with the consequences. Look, in my situation, although I may not have committed the offense, I was making poor choices in life. And in my mind, I deserve to be punished. So I can reconcile that in my mind. I understand. I didn't commit illegal acts. I was committing immoral acts. Um, In true transparency, I had moments of being unfaithful to my wife because of my own issues from my past, and that was my way of dealing with it. But it wasn't illegal, the things I was doing. The... um, so me and God had to have a reconciliation point. The problem was some, of, uh, some people in this world don't really care. The judicial system I was open to, um, I understand, and I don't want to step on people because I have friends who are attorneys, um, and I have friends in the, in the sheriff's department, things of that nature. I do understand they have jobs, and they are great people we're in a country right now that has a lot of bashing of officials and I'm not trying to do that I really am not but there are people in those areas that are not acting very morally mm-hmm. I will just say that and because of it lives are being um lives are being extremely impacted in negative ways um and it and it makes it hard and the, and one of the reasons why I'm here is not really to focus on what's going on to me the more alarming part is what's happening to the families that are tied to these individuals. Um, in my situation, I I will tell people all the time that I believe my wife has been punished more than I have. And Mm -hmm. what did she do to, she didn't do anything.
0: Yeah. So it's you're not saying, I mean, there are individuals within systems, but what you're saying is that, just like the prison system, mm-hmm. right? which we need to have a whole podcast on, <laughs> um, you know, there, you know, in the last five to 10 years, it's come about that there are private prisons where people yeah. fund those things and they get kickbacks mm-hmm. as it judges yeah. get kickbacks. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's all this stuff that's going on. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that's the same thing in the sex offender uh, system, but I'm assuming in every group, there are bad eggs, bad apples, sure. whatever analogy you want to use. I think also, what I would say that I see from a mental health perspective is that, and I write about this in the book, um, is that one of the problems with all of our systems is the judiciary system, the sex offender system, the school system, and mm-hmm. then even the church system is that if you don't understand human beings yes. and how they're wired and how they, how they are made and how they um, cope and how they deal with trauma, then how can you create a system for humans? Right. And so that's what we've seen, I think, in America, in our history, is that we have all these systems that are for human beings, and the people who are creating the systems don't understand human beings. Right. And so we're not looking at what's best for humans and then the people around them and then the society. Mm -hmm. We're looking at behavior modification. I need to change this behavior. And if I punish this person and make them feel pain, they won't want to do it again and then... That's it.
1: Right. Well, yeah, because I mean, when you look at and you label me a sex offender, okay, Uh, when I came home, one of the first things I did was go, I was able to get involved with a Celebrate Recovery ministry, right? And one thing became very apparent. The issues and the struggles that I have are no different than a drug addict or alcoholic or anything like that. The issues that I had were self-esteem, dealing with uh, physical, mental abuse, sexual abuse when I was a child, those things that I'd never gotten treatment for, never really felt like I needed it, and I didn't realize that. The whole thing was connected. So mental health-wise, I had issues that I never went and got treatment for. So when I, looking back on it, I'm not the therapist, so you may put it in a different language here, okay? <laughs> but this is what I, I believe or what I've come to understand about myself and my own self-exploration is when I felt hurt or abandoned or any of that area, uh, there were people that I would come across that showed Uh, affirmation and things and it wasn't in the most healthy way but it was my way of getting affirmation feeling better about myself in that moment then I felt like garbage after making that stupid decision and then it just fueled a vicious cycle Um, and I had to stop it well I couldn't stop it well God allowed me to be incarcerated to stop it and I had two and a half years to sit down and (laughs) have long conversations with God arguments with him that he won every single one Um, and then but from that it has been a beautiful thing is seeing one, uh, one of the most impactful moments of my life was when I in wallowing in my self pity. I sent my wife a letter and told her, I said, just send me the divorce papers. This guy's trying to put life on me. I mean, I was facing life in prison originally. It was crazy. Um, and the response I got back from her was if you ever send me anything like that again, I'm going to catch a charge. Mm-hmm. It was the first time in my life I've ever experienced unconditional love. Cause in my household, it didn't exist. That was ground shaking for me. Then I just started praying to God. I was like, honestly, the very thing I I sat there and said, God, if you're real, I need, I need to shake my core. I need to see you. I have to see you. And he started showing up in ways that doesn't, it doesn't make sense. It really doesn't. Um, I had favor i had opportunities to get jobs that i didn't feel like at that moment i deserved while i was incarcerated uh he just showed me favor i started seeing guys these in these orange jumpsuits right everybody's in orange jumpsuits and i look around and it came to me one day that they're no different than people sitting in pews on sundays the difference is these guys have been caught and many of them are starting to identify their mistakes and know that they need to do something but yet on Sunday, we have so many sitting in pews that are no different. They're in shackles and in orange jumpsuits and they don't even realize it. Mm-hmm. They're shackled and imprisoned by whatever hurts they've had in their past, mm-hmm. their, their belief systems or whatever it may be. And it, and it saddened me to the point that I was like, man, something's gotta change. Something's gotta do something. And that's where I look back on those moments when 2021, an opportunity come to create the church, here I am, and I was like, okay, God, and I don't know how I'm gonna do this, but I'm gonna say yes because isn't that what the disciples did? Mm-hmm. Jesus didn't give them the plan. He just said, come. <laughs> and if he said, come, they had to say yes. And if they said yes, there you go. He revealed it as he went. And that's the way I viewed that. I was like, okay, whatever you want, God, I'm gonna do whatever you want, because mm-hmm. something good's gonna come out of this. You're gonna bring it. I'm just gonna be a vessel.
0: That's great, man. Yeah, I think uh in this lane, I think people's as people are listening to this, I, you know, I know there's going to be a cringe, a pushback, a tension of what are you saying? Right? Like the, I'm not a sex offender. I haven't ever abused anybody sexually. I haven't ever hurt another child. I haven't ever done these things. And, or some of them are listening thinking, well, I have done some of those things, or maybe I've never really thought back on what I did when I was 15 or 10 or 22. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm in my fifties now. I'm 30 years out from ever even thinking of that. You know, um, I think, that's the gospel though. The gospel is that we all sin and fall short and we all have issues. And the problem we have in this country and especially in the church culture is that we weigh sins against each other. we say, okay, well I've never done that. I would never do that. How could they do that? Right. And I think that means that we haven't really discipled hard people. You know, if you have that perspective where you go, how could they, whatever it is, right? Mm -hmm. Drinking, drugging, abuse, whatever. How could they, then you don't know people. Mm-hmm. You don't know psychology. You don't know systems. You don't know the families and the experiences and the traumas that children go through that create these coping mechanisms and these survival mechanisms. That's not saying they're right. That's not saying they're healthy. That's not saying that everybody is culpable or needs the same responsibility or resources or recovery or whatever the thing is. But what it, help, what it should help us do as Christians is it should motivate motivate us to sit with people and hear their stories so that we can start to make sense of why people do what they do.
1: Correct. And that was one of the things that I, I thank God for putting in me is that very thing. I didn't see these guys as criminals. I saw them as hurt human beings that God created. What the question that kept coming up in my mind is how did you get here? What happened to get you here? Mm-hmm. That's how I approach the ministry because We could look back. I was just studying Noah today, right? So I'm getting ready to do a message on that this weekend. And Noah lived, he was a righteous man. So righteous when all the world was evil, I want you to build a boat. What? It's going to rain. What's rain? But he did it. He was obedient, right? What happens after, within a year or so after going through that experience of a flood, God doing such a large thing in his life. He does something as simple as getting drunk and getting naked in his place right and then that creates from that and ham doing um having that experience canaan was then cursed but wait a minute that doesn't sound like a big deal yeah drunk got, maybe some of us listening to this right now got drunk and naked last night i don't know <laughs> well you know if you did you just committed the same sin that noah did but that brought about that little thing brought a curse on an entire nation of people. But we don't think that way in the church. We think, like you said, the scales of the sins, the weight of the sins, they're different. I just told a little lie. Well, Adam was disobedient and brought about sin into an entirely sinless world. Disobedience did that. Not a sexual offense. Not murder. Not these things that we put heavy weights on those types of offenses. It was simple ones that God, we could go back and see. There are some... David committed some pretty serious ones, but there are simple ones that bring curses to entire nations of people, but yet we don't think that way as Christians, and that's what I hope that we will see. Sin is sin is sin. God doesn't approve of any of them and if he doesn't approve of them as Christians who are we to weigh down and create uh, scales of cat- different categories of offenses if a man is broken a woman is broken they need God they need the gospel we minister to them and help bring healing whatever that looks like into their lives and then you guys do the mental health side and all that comes together and people get healing it's a beautiful thing absolutely
0: yeah, I think I think where it gets nuanced is what are the consequences, what are the boundaries, mm-hmm. what does that look like, and our our perception on culture when it comes to prison and recovery and is not reconciliation. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's pun- crime and punishment, mm-hmm. and the, and for the sex offender registry, I get it. I mean, if somebody abused my child, right, sure. I would want them dead. Yeah, you know, that would be my fleshly response. Right. Knowing what I know and doing what I do, and and you know what Andy does is. I would still have that response internally, but I know man, this person was abused themselves. Sure. This person went through some heinous things, and I would start to look at what happened in their life. I would I would hope that the Holy Spirit would give me the strength to think of them as the broken human being they are. I would still want them to have consequences. Sure. I would still want them to have um recovery and reconciliation and restoration and i would still want some a team of people making sure that that person is truly recovered and truly repentant and is truly fine healing right that's a lot of money and resources and time on on this person yes but the alternative is what the alternative is putting them in a prison for 10 years putting them on a registry and just hoping they don't do it again Mm -hmm. as if the registry keeps them from committing abuses which we Mm -hmm. know it doesn't
1: yeah, let me ask you a question. Uh, how many people are on the registry today? Do you have an idea of how many in the country? I don't. Uh, it's pushing a million. Wow. That number's not getting smaller. It's getting bigger. So then the natural question I have to ask is how effective are our laws if we keep adding people to this registry, registry all the time?
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's the same thing with, you know, Mission 22 is the suicide prevention for veterans, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. it's it's It was Mission 22. I don't remember when it started, probably 2000s, you know, late 2000s, but it's Mission 22 today. Mm-hmm. I'd like it to be mission nine 19 at least
1: go down. Yeah. Yes. Like, shouldn't
0: we, yeah. and, I, and again, I, I'm not hating on you mission 22. I love you. <laughs> I think you're a great resource, but the question is why are these things not lowering the numbers? Right. Sure. Why, why are, and so we have to ask ourselves what's up with that. You know, what's the, yeah. what's the thing. And I think again, these conversations are hard and heavy because, We have to, you know, the caveat's already there that people need consequences. Abuse is heinous and terrible, and the fallout from that is awful and terrible. That's a Mm -hmm. different podcast, right? We've done that podcast. I do that work. Prevention is my life's blood. The conversation we're trying to have is how do we think about this from a church perspective, Mm -hmm. and how do we make it an individualized case-by-case scenario on how do we walk that out? Because I think that's what it has to be. Yeah. and and the only way to make it a case by case scenario is to be in relationship with people that are on the f- sex offenders list yes. hear their story see how they act see their boundaries see their health and then build from there does that Andy what you thinking you've been quiet
2: just taking it all in you know I'm blessed to know Jeremy and, and a lot of this story coming into this and I'm so glad to finally have him on the podcast so other people can hear what I hear and see what I see and He's just an amazing man of God who has taken something and, and turning it into a ministry and what, what God wants for him to come out of it. But, you know, as it relates to the church, one of the struggles that, that I see in the church, and Clinton, I know you and I have had lots of conversations, is the church doesn't want to deal with issues. Messy. They, mm. they don't want messy. They all... Give the pastor, the associate pastor, a severance package and, you know, kind of let it go away. They were inappropriate with their secretary or they did whatever. And it's like they're not addressing what's really going on. And again, I, I, I'm tr- going to try and be concise in, in this. Like it comes from a lack of discipleship. Okay. Most churches don't promote the Great Commission. They, they don't disciple and send people out because most of the people in the churches don't know how to disciple because most of the pastors who are leading the flock haven't been properly discipled themselves. Yep. And the church doesn't want to have to when when it comes to sex, sexual morality, anything of that nature, the the church is failing because people aren't talking about it. And we've had And the church
0: isn't God. Right. Right, that's the point. I think that's where we get we as, as the pastors that we love, that we work with, you know, and that they listen to this podcast, they agree. Yes. We have them in here every week. I've had them on the podcast. They would say as a whole, yep. their amazing church is doing a great job. Sure. But as a whole, we haven't done a great job when it comes to the sexual, whatever it is, you know, from purity culture to pornography to sex offenders to protecting our chil- children from sex, all of those things. Yes. I haven't heard a sermon on that. Right. No. I'll, I'll hear a sermon on homosexuality.
2: Oh, yeah, that's low-hanging fruit. You know, I'll, I'll hear a sermon <laughs>
0: on transgenderism, you know, and, and males versus females and all that stuff. And, again, sermons that are rightly preached and talked about sometimes in an appropriate way. Yeah. But these things are rarely talked about from the pulpit.
2: They are. And, and one of the things that, that frustrates me um, is as, as my relationship with Jeremy has grown, and he's shared with me what— he believes he's called to do in the ministry is the response of the churches because whether or not people want to believe this churches are businesses it takes money you got to pay your staff you have to pay the bills you know you you may be tax exempt but swepco doesn't care they want their money for the electric bill it's got to come from somewhere and it comes from the tithing it comes from the people that give to the church and so i had asked jeremy if it would be okay with him when he he told me about his ministry and what he believes God's calling him to do, and I believe it wholeheartedly, like I try and affirm him in that, is would it be okay if I reach out to some pastor friends of mine? All right, because again, churches are businesses. it We need money. You know, one of the things that he was talking about is, and this goes back to when I had first met him, is just to, to raise enough money to get the list of the registrants mm-hmm. and send them cards about Crossroads of Hope. And so I reached out to several pastor friends. So, um, how much money is that? <laughs> uh, I don't know what it is mailing now
1: because it keeps going up, but uh, at the time, just in Louisiana, I needed about five grand. Yeah. Just in Louisiana.
0: So, your goal was I want to preface this so people know yes. what we're talking about. Your goal as a pastor, as a person who loves Jesus, as a person who wants to reach people who are broken, who have addictions, who have past trauma, and we'll get into that in a minute, all those people. Your goal was to send them a card to invite them to an online church yes. where they could not come and offend anybody. Right. There was no risk of them harming anybody. They just had an opportunity to hear worship, hear the gospel,
1: hear hear the word and Correct. have a have right. an
0: internal community they could connect with.
1: Yeah, to give them a if I go to church on Sunday, what I walk in, I fellowship with people, my friends and all of that and I get to worship as a body. That is how we're made to be. Mm-hmm. The church is suppo- not supposed to be isolated this gives them an opportunity even though I may not be in your living room through the use of technology we're able to be on and worship together that's mm-hmm. what we wanted to be able to give them that try to bring that experience to them as much as we could yeah and, and but it's so hard to reach them because there's a, a lot of trust issues after you go through and you get put on the registry because you're constantly bashed over the head with your label um, jobs do it society does it so the, it seems like Again, I'm not the mental health professional, but they, there's a lot of isolation, there. a lot mm-hmm. of mistrust. How do we break through that barrier? Let me give you the safety of your own home to be able to connect. And
0: with the goal being that people find Jesus, find healing, yes. find restoration, and
1: don't offend anybody again. Correct. There's a safe way to move forth the gospel. Right. And I understand. Look, I understand Andy and I have had this conversation many times. I do understand and I empathize with pastors. It is not to be a pastor bashing session. But I understand the difficulty of the position they're in. To bring a registrant in, God forbid something happened on the grounds, there's going to be repercussions. Hell to pay. Absolutely. How can my job is not It should
0: be. Let's say that caveat. We've done a very poor job of protecting children and women and men in church. There's Mm -hmm. been lots of sexual abuse, lots of sexual immorality, lots of things done by people in power to people, and it's been swept under the rug and not dealt with. Correct. That's a problem. We need to be dealing with it. That is not the issue that we're talking about
1: not at all matter of fact uh that is not condoned i would not want that for my family or anything else what we're talking about is folks that have offenses outside of the church even if they offended in the church because we do deal with some pastors that have those offenses i've got a few of them in our ministry um they're very supportive they're regretful of their decision they understand but we want them to have a safe space that they could come to and be able to worship because the gospel still needs to move forward. Yep. But how can we partner with churches or be supported by churches to, because they get them in, they go, what do we do with this? I had a young lady in Iowa one time, uh, she loved what we were doing, our ministry, her husband was about to come out of jail, and she said, Jeremy, I've been trying to talk to the church that I attend, and they told me flat out that I can still come, but my husband would not be welcome. Right Now, first issue, <laughs> Why are we not – where did Jesus sit down and talk – who did he sit down and talk with? Publicans and tax collectors, the worst of the worst at that time, right? He didn't go out to the country club and hang out with all the little Christian guys. Mm -hmm. Um, So we have – there has to be a way to reach this community. But then we split apart that family dynamic when they need to be together and healing the most – because I believe that if part of our responsibility is um, when a person offends, if they're in a relationship or a marriage, one of the first things the friends and family do is tell leave. You need to leave him. You need to leave him. That's not exactly scriptural. There could be a basis for it, but we want to try to bring healing. If you're a believer, I encourage them, if it's not an offense against you, okay, say your husband was online, he was looking at child pornography, got caught. Yes, he needs to deal with the consequences of that. I'm going to challenge you not to just jettison and, you know, eject out of the marriage. There's something happened in his life. Why was he looking at that is the question I want to be able to pursue. So then that creates a whole nother thing. And I'm not the mental health professional. I keep saying that because I'm not. I never would put myself in that position. My job is to bring forth the gospel. And if I believe that's what God's telling us to do, then great. What we're trying to do as part of our ministry as well is to bring alongside mental health professionals that can help address that situation.
0: Right. Because what you can't do is be a church that just says oh you're a murderer you're a liar you're a cheater you swindle money you mm-hmm. molest children come and sit in the pews with everybody else be in a relationship with everybody else and we love Jesus so we're just not going to have any accountability. Can't turn a blind eye. Right. No. And so I think that's the nuance that people have a hard time with is mm-hmm. they don't want to deal like there has to be things put in place there have yes. to be people put in place there has to be accountability put in place there, there is some level of risk mm-hmm But isn't it for everybody and isn't it for everything? And and do we want to be aware of it? So you call these pastors.
2: I I send out a text message, a very detailed text message that clearly said, please call me if you have any questions. And I can also get you in touch with Jeremy. I sent it to about, I think, 12 or 15 pastors of pretty good sized churches here in the Shreveport, Boger area. I got three responses. Um, I had uh, a thumbs up from one of them on the iMessage. The other one said, we'll look into it. And then the other one I actually had a conversation with. I know we have several pastors. Don't go full eight. I'm not going to go full Enneagram eight. But I know we have several who I actually sent that message to who may be listening. Here's my problem. Is when it comes to loving our neighbor, who is our neighbor, right? And so... The church wanting to pick and choose what ministries they support, I, I can appreciate that. Depending on the denomination and you know the bylaws and all that stuff, I get and it. Budget. And budget, and budget, but to to disregard and not even entertain it because to get no response, I took that as we don't want anything to do with this. We don't even want any further information. We don't want to go to the website. We don't want to talk to Jeremy. It's kind of one of those, you know, we we hope that they find Jesus, but we don't want to help facilitate them finding Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so when I got a lot of the, I, 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 by negative feedback, I say no feedback. It was so discouraging to me um, because I'm like, okay, I said I would be willing to answer more questions and Jeremy would be more than willing to. Mm-hmm. This is something that God has equipped him for and called him to. Did, did God cause his circumstances? No, he did not. But he's wanting to use it to reach other people for the kingdom of God. And some of these churches out here, I do know some of the ministries that they're partnered with. And again, I'm take a deep breath. It's just, it's extremely frustrating that he needed $5,000 for mail outs to reach people for the kingdom but because he wasn't sending mail outs about uh, a church play they didn't want any part of it and and I I I get that that's fine but I I don't believe that some of those guys even gave I, I, I was specific I said if you need to talk to some of your church elders or some of the leaders please do so and pray about it Man, I would, would have respected their response more if they would have said, I've been seeking the Lord on this, and our church just doesn't feel called. We're not compelled to partner with this ministry. Right, which may be the case. And that is perfectly fine, but to just not even acknowledge it and say that, you know, all are welcome. We're going to love God, and we're going to love people, and everyone's welcome at blankety-blank-blank-blank blank, blank church. No, everyone's not welcome. Like you're, you're not even willing to have a conversation about potentially funding and just giving some money to um, a, a, a ministry. And the most frustration comes from the fact that they wouldn't even respond, and that tells me that they they're in. Well, it might tell you. It might tell me that they are not willing to fulfill all of what Jesus has called all of us as Christians to do. Mm-hmm. So I don't even know that that's a might, to be honest with you, because if I'm not willing to sit down and have a conversation as a Christian man with any other human being, regardless of what they've done, am I modeling what Jesus wants me to do?
0: Mm-hmm. No. Well, I think that goes to the the problem. I mean, we can get into a whole topic of this, but... I think that goes to the problem of head pastors being in the positions they are to make all the decisions, have all the authority, get all the text messages. I mean, maybe they didn't read it. Mm-hmm. I mean, that shouldn't be the system. But my point is is that I think what I've seen is that, as as a leader of a practice with 40 people, is that the amount of people who text me about things who need, oh my gosh, like donations, you know, giveaways, I don't respond to all of them. Mm-hmm. I mean to. I try to have Sonny respond to some of them. I try to have JC respond to some of them, but sometimes I miss people. Mm -hmm. That's sometimes the case. So Some of those people that might've been the case for, but when it's the church, it's Mm -hmm. different than what I'm doing. It's, it's not totally different. It's different in the sense of the church is, is a body of believers that we should be able to go to and say, Hey, here's a ministry. Here's a, here's a thing. And it's not a the thing about Jeremy's ministry, and I would say this about the hub or about human trafficking or about poverty is that there's not twenty thousand of those in treeport right no right, but dances and and you know fundraises and pool parties and you know a bunch of other things that get funded golf golf uh annual golf trips or whatever yes. the thing what's it called a tournament you know the fundraiser you know there are a lot of those sure there are a lot of things for poor people. There are a lot of things like there's a lot more ministries than this. Yes. And we found the same thing with, and you know, working for the hub for years and working in human trafficking was just Mm -hmm. like very difficult to get people to come and serve. Very difficult to get people to give money to it. it. It's much easier to say, Hey, we have XYZ ministry. Can you give us money for these kids who are in foster care? Yeah. But it doesn't get served either. I mean, most of these things that are difficult get underserved by the church. 100%. 100%. I mean, heck. And and that goes back. So to get off pastors, that goes back to us as individuals. You know what I mean? There's a top down problem and then a bottom up problem. I mean, less than what? 8% of the church even tithes.
1: Right.
0: So if you go to a church right now and you don't tithe, then 10% of the church is the one funding all of the things all the missions, all the lighting, all the smoke machines, all of the retreats, all of the pay, all the salaries, all of the things. Mm hmm. So we all have to, I think, take a moment and think about our own hearts and what do we give to and what do we do and not have an expectation for pastors to fulfill all that. Yes. Although, I hear you, I agree, that is a problem. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that's more of a systemic problem than it is a heart problem, just like it is with the state. Yep. Right? And so just like we want them to judge The sex offender on a case by case basis, we have to do that for the people who aren't, we feel like aren't stepping up. Sure. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's where the balance comes in is we have to be the people that we want other people to be. Yes. Even when they're not being the people we think they should. Yeah. And that's hard. And we're all a bunch of hypocrites.
2: (laughs) Every (laughs) single one of us. Does that
0: that make sense?
2: not, Not one is righteous. No. Not one.
0: But I'm with you. I think that's the point of doing this podcast is to say, you know, what are we doing? You know, and and I hope that there are people that are out there that are passionate about this that can, they feel the Holy Spirit on their heart saying, okay, well, maybe our church can help and maybe we can donate a little bit here and there and maybe we can really help because you're helping society as a whole when you help the least of these.
1: That's what I was, that's exactly where my mind was just at because I think so many times we focus on the issue as being... I don't want to help a registering, Okay. And I can understand that. And I can appreciate kind of the moral dilemma that someone can in, be going through internally.
0: Of course. And but, especially if they don't have the information, they're yes. not informed, or they have a personal experience or narrative that yes. has been impacted negatively by it.
1: Absolutely. Yes. And I know, and I really want to be careful on that and on this whole conversation. I know you already put the warning out, but I am not trying to make this a conversation of poor sex offender and forget the victims, Because I've been one. I I was molested at 11 and 12 years old. I know what that's like. I would not wish that on anyone. Okay. Um, but that experience was weaponized against me when I was arrested because I was told, Oh, well, you're a victim. That means you're likely to be an offender. Right. And I was like, what, wait a minute. Why, how do you come up with that definition? And so, which
0: is true statistically, but not 100%. Hundred percent.
1: But to go out there and smack me with that label, oh, I said, it's "Well, like oh. Minority Report, yeah. Tom Cruise. Really. <laughs> yeah. You might do this, so we'll right." Risk. Yeah. yeah, we did. We have some cogs down there trying to, you know, bring up the premonitions. Um, nice. <laughs> I've seen the movie. But uh, so I'm sitting there thinking about that, and I challenged him back. I said, "By statistics, my most of my family were smokers. I should be a smoker. Most of my family were drinks. I'm not an alcoholic. All of these stuff, I challenged him back. I'm just not that kind of person. I don't just go with the norms just because of." Uh, or the habits so but what I want to try to get back to the basis of is, is I'm not saying okay I understand you want to uh, look at the offender or the person with a charge that's fine I get that and I understand your moral dilemma what I'm challenging here and the, the audience to think about is it's bigger than that give you a couple of ways to look at this first off what happened in that person's past get to know them we're in a society where pornography is legal right mm-hmm. most kids have access to it on a cell phone or easy access to it some way shape or form place I, I just found out you can get to that through playstation apparently i oh, didn't yeah. know that i'm an idiot apparently <laughs> or i've you just can gotten get old
0: it through your bible app that's crazy yeah i had kids uh recently that their parents were saying they were chatting if you go into the bible app and you look there are all these um these uh Profiles that are all like sexual profiles that they're, you know, they're just blank names with no faces and they'll take you to offline links. Um, really? That are, they're, most of it's bots. Yeah. But it, yeah. it's I mean, anything with the internet, that's crazy. No matter what it is, is going to have porn linked to it in some way, shape, or form.
1: Wow. I, I just learned something. I didn't know that. Somebody called Craig Rochelle and telling me about the Lee Version Bible. Um, yep. but, but so I'm sitting here looking at this and the point I'm trying to make is if a child is being desensitized to pornography, and that's what we're raising our generation unintentionally, obviously in most cases, right? We're not expecting that child to be desensitized to it, but if the child's being desensitized as they get older and commit an offense, they're not thinking much about that. If we think, we'll think about those issues with violence, gun violence, oh my gosh. What about Grand Theft Auto? We need, they've threatened to take that game away. They've talked about uh, Mortal Kombat and all these different games that these kids play because of the violence, and all of a sudden we have a plethora of school shootings and they attribute the two together, right, or link them. Why are we not having these discussions with the impact of pornography in our youth and the increase in sexual offenses
0: yeah and i would say i mean this is literally what the book is about but you know one in three girls and one in five boys is sexually abused by 18 Mm -hmm. so even before porn most people that's a sad when i'm saying most i'm not being Mm -hmm. dramatic most of the people we know have experienced sexual abuse Abuse. the problem is is we don't define a sexual abuse or sexual trauma Mm -hmm. often Mm -hmm. so a lot of people have experienced it and don't even know that that's what it is because they weren't raped Mm -hmm. A lot of teenage girls are raped and don't call it rape. Mm -hmm. So we have to take into consideration all of those things that as a child, you know, same sex touch, other sex touch, any kind of sexual thing that you're not consenting for. And if you're a minor, you can't consent to it anyway Mm -hmm. is abuse and trauma. So if all of that's happening before puberty, and then the average person that sees pornography in America is somewhere between nine and 11 years old. That's all before even the wiring is happening to have an arousal template for the same sex attraction or opposite sex attraction or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, if we're not taking all of that in consideration, then porn enters and it's off to the races. Yeah. Yeah. And so, that's what builds these arousal templates of how could you be attracted. So, I feel like it's a great time for me to just say this one point that I told you we we're going to say. So, let's just so people understand what makes a sex offender. Mm-hmm. And that could be somebody who is an adult who molests a child. That could be an adult who molests an eighteen-year-old or seventeen-year-old or a minor, or what in any case, way, shape, or form. Um, first of all, it's all different. But imagine that you grow up as a child from like zero to five, zero to six, and you experience sexual abuse by your dad, by your uncle, by a neighbor, by another adult male, female. Let's imagine that that happens to you multiple times. Over the course of those years, you right? You start to like it. You, you don't like it, but you don't tell anybody. Nobody helps you. Nobody comes alongside you. Nobody does anything for you. Then from seven to ten, seven to 11, you have interactions with other children where you play that scenario out, or maybe sexual trauma happens again, or maybe it's concurrently happening. Then within that window, you also start looking at pornography. Maybe your offender shows you the pornography, right? By the time you're 12 or 13, you notice that you're still kind of attracted to five and six year olds. Maybe you're looking at other child porn online. You're looking at minor porn, because you're still a minor. Who are you going to tell? Mm -hmm. Who are you going to ask for help from? Who are you going to go to at 15 and say, Hey, listen, I'm kind of aroused by people a few years younger than me. I'm aroused by these things. Can you help me? And if you did do that, who would help you? Right. Who wouldn't put you on the sex offender registry at 10 or 11 and say, you got to do this for 15 years, you little monster.
2: Right. Here's your consequence. Here's your PO. Right. Or you're not invited to the youth swim party anymore. Well,
0: 100% that. Right. I mean, like you're not coming to church and you're definitely not coming to church camp. Right. Yep. Then, okay, so you don't say any of that because you know those are the consequences. Meanwhile, from about 7 to 15, every time a child molester or an abuser or rapist is brought up, people are like, they should get their balls cut off, they should be murdered, they should be buried underneath the prison, right? All the things we've all heard. So you know that's how people feel about it. Pastors, churches, I I heard a person one time say, you know, he was doing a sermon literally and said, I heard the recording, and he said that we should... There's empty, church, empty crosses in all the churches, and we should allow the abused children to nail the, the person who abused them on the cross. He'll hold the hammer.
2: Wow. When did you go to Westboro Baptist Church, man? That's right. Wow. Like, that's
0: the kind of stuff that people say from the pulpit, mm-hmm. right? Mm. So imagine that. Imagine you're that kid, you're that woman, you're that guy, and now you're 18 or 19, still looking at child. No, you're not. You say, you know, I'm gonna white knuckle it, I'm not gonna look at porn. I'm going to get in help. I'm going to get in some therapy. And for years, you don't look at it. And at 22 or 23, you get married. You have some kids. Trauma happens. Life happens. Stress happens. you start looking at porn again. Before you know it, you get an ad sent to you. You get on child pornography. Then, lo and behold, you're left with your nieces or nephews or cousins or friends. You get aroused. You molest that person. At some point, somebody catches you. You get arrested. Now we're here.
1: That's that's or, or I, the story. Or I would challenge it doesn't in your example you don't even have to act out on a physical act. Right right. Just the fact that you got on child pornography it, it triggers 100% all of a sudden you're arrested.
0: Yeah, I was given the worst case scenario.
1: Yeah, yeah, no no yeah yeah. But I I just want to make sure the listeners don't go oh well I haven't acted out. I'm okay. No. There's a lot of people getting hit for child pornography so it stop it might stop there before it even got out to an action. There needs to be a place where a person can jump off because mandatory an reporting. boarding or- ramp. Yes,
0: yes. There yes. has to be an off boarding ramp. Like, and, and that's what I. That's what you know. There's this is just one part of the book, but like this is the whole scenario that we're talking about. I mean, I'm so glad you came on because we're fleshing it out. It's like we have to think about this thing happening systemically over time. Yes. For as a child, mm-hmm. right? It's not. Oh, I'm 32. I had a rough day, and I'm going to look at child porn. Right. Oh, and I'm 35. Yeah. That's just not the science and not the research and not how it happens. Mm-hmm. Are there a few people who are wired a certain way and are certified monsters out there? Absolutely. Oh, you've had Ted Bundy. Yes. Right. Yes. Those things have happened and people are like that. Mm-hmm. But like you said, the large majority of people have sexual abuse history. And that's what I, I wrote down. Most people who commit offenses against children have been abused. But very few people who have been abused offend. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Same thing with lots of people who are addicted to sex and pornography and need groups and helps. Very mm-hmm. few of those offend and sexually abuse people and children. But most of the people who have sexually abused in children have a sex addiction. Right. Mm-hmm. And so people have to understand those overlaps. I know they're scary, but the the reality isn't what we think it is. No. And so I wanted to paint that picture because when we take it from a child who went through that never got help, never got recovery, the church never tended to it. Nobody asked questions. Nobody gives off boarding ramps. Nobody gives resources. Nobody says, Hey, this is common. By the time you're an adult and your arousal template is wired that way and your addiction and your trauma response is wired that way. It's not as simple as just not doing it.
2: Yeah. And yeah. I want to jump in real so quick. I'll shut up because, for second. No. Cause I want to, when it comes to the offenders, Uh, And and as Jeremy was telling me a lot about the ministry, um, I I remember a story about the guy who, he turned 18 and his girlfriend was 16. Yes. And parents of the 16-year-old, whose boyfriend was not obviously legal 18, which an 18-year-old is still a child anyway, um, but not according to the law, that at 18 her parents then were able to so there was legal consequences this 18 year old is on the registry and he is now married to the 16 year old in his adult life yet he's on the registry probably i'm guessing at a tier two or maybe a tier one and it's like oh man we got a sex offender in the neighborhood. Well, no, he turned 17 when he was dating a 16-year-old and her parents didn't like him and wanted him to break up. And so they called the law and was he a sex offender? According to the law, yeah, he was. He was 18 years old and she was 16 years old. And those are the things when it comes into the lumping together in one category. If, if, cause I've I've received the mail outs before uh, of a sex offender in the neighborhood, right? There's even apps now, like where you have like the dots or whatever. But it's like, if we don't know the story and we're ignorant and we just lump everybody into one, that's that's not fair. I, I don't wanna be lumped into some of the stuff that I've been a part of. And so many of the people are offenders and they don't even know it. If you've ever sent a, a unsolicited dick pic, you're an offender. Right. If if a child has viewed pornography in your home and you didn't know it, you're an offender. Like, and so it's like, but, but I didn't, actively go out and pursue it yeah you may not have but you still would be considered a sex offender Mm -hmm. and so there's just so much and um it, it just to bring awareness because the passion that i have i guess again is is an eight for injustice seeing people treated unfairly when we don't have all of the information a sex offender is not they're not all the same like we've talked about but again it goes back to what you were talking about is no five-year-old on career day decides they want to grow up and be a, a child molester or a school shooter. Mm-hmm. What, what happened to them in their life? And that, again, is something that back to the church is we don't have an answer for it, so we don't want to go near it.
0: Yeah, and we have such a polarization because there's another swing Right. To take away the word pedophilia, to take away any of those things, to uh, have maps, uh, minor attracted peoples. And that's the swing the other direction. Right. And we're trying to find a middle ground in the conversation to go, okay let's individualize individualize it. Let's let's find a way to help people recover, because there are people within the system who aren't what you think they are. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the most important part of this conversation. The bulk of the people.
2: I got to raise my hand. Sure. And, and I don't know where you were when you spoke this so I, it, it had to deal with Dungeons and Dragons oh yeah right.
0: can, can, can you
2: share that because before we tie back to yeah, the crossroads of hope absolutely and because Clint and I could go on and on for hours about this stuff there was something that I want him to share because people need context and to see just how ignorant, even the. Mind, I'll shut up. Go okay. ahead. Clint. No, I have to hear this. Yeah, man. so
0: okay. so I play Dungeons and Dragons. Okay. I have since I was in high school. Okay. Um, for everybody out there, we do not sacrifice goats. And we do not dress up. I might wear a hat every once in a while. Um, it's a role playing game where you literally do math and pretend to be other characters and act silly. And mainly, we talk about Jesus and and the gospel for about an hour, and then we get into like silly games. So, super nerdy. Love it. I have this uh, case in my office that says, in case of dragons, break the glass, and it's all the dice that you use to attack. Like, so anyway, super nerdy. I can nerdy. attest yeah. to that. I'm looking at it now. Yeah, man. So so I speak all over the place about all this stuff or whatever. And uh, I was at a church one time. I won't name the location or state. And uh, the guy in front of me was talking about child pedophilia, all the things we're talking about, protecting from these things, mm-hmm. which, again, I've done the, the podcaster on here. I, you know, 90% of what I do is prevention, mm-hmm. right? What we're talking about is how do we help people recover who have made these mistakes and choices? Um, so anyway, so he's giving all these things, all the resources, and he's talking about pedophiles and abusers and, it, and it's awful. Um, and the things he's talking about are awful. And these people need consequences and they need all of the things we're talking about and he said he's showing anime pictures and he's talking about the links of pornography and anime and abuse and pedophilia. And then he he talks about Dungeons and Dragons and he's like, you know, and you know, there's a link between people who play Dungeons and Dragons and, you know, pedophilia and anime. And he just lumps it all into this category. And I'm standing at the top laughing. (laughs) So he left and, and I I was the next speaker. And so I came up and, and so about halfway in the, the thing, I was like, we were talking about trauma and the ACEs score and how all these things play out. And, and my goal for them was to understand, like, the people in your life who look at porn, who struggle with these things, like, it didn't just start happening. If your husband right. or wife had an affair or struggling, you know, same kind of concept. And I said, and, you know, I I do play Dungeons & Dragons, but I don't molest children. I said, you know, something like that. <laughs> and, again, it's my personality. It rubbed me the wrong way. Like, it, yeah. it was just, it's that kind of stuff where, I mean, in the 80s, that's literally what we thought. Like, people yeah. who play Dungeons & Dragons, like, were there were articles coming out in the church and it's devil worship and it's these things and did a few people use it that way? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But were most people just trying to like connect with other people. They like the genre, you know, just as much as football or baseball or basketball, but they couldn't connect in those areas and so they Mm -hmm. found a place for connection. Sure. Right. And so when we do that, when we lump things together and categorize people out of fear and without the right information, then there are a lot of people that get hurt yeah, and the spouses and the children of those people get hurt um, as well. And so I think that's what we have to think about as a body of Christ is we need more information. Mm -hmm. You know, when somebody asks me about what do you think about homosexuality or transgenderism? I'm always like, well, tell me about heterosexual sexuality. Can you explain to me how a man is attracted to a woman biologically? Can you tell me the science, how that works? If you can't, then we can't really have a conversation about these other things. And what I find is that nine out of 10 people, we just, things are happening and we just know they happen, but we can't really tell you how they happen. Right. Now there's a lot of research and evidence on how they happen, but they can't tell me, but we want to talk about an outlier situation.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: And this is the
1: same way. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we see it all the time. Um,
0: Again, not condoning or condemning either one, but the point is,
1: yeah, don't don't treat all offenders, and they're changing and get away. By the way, from sex offenders to PFR, people forced to register, um, is the term they're trying to because just when you use that connotation of sexual offender or whatever, it automatically there's. You remember the Duke lacrosse team? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You remember what happened with that? I do. Okay. We don't think about it that way, but thank God the one. There were three Duke lacrosse players that were charged, if you're not familiar with the story, just briefly in the what mid-90s it was, I believe it was, 94, uh, 95, yeah. right around that time frame, and all three of them were accused, uh, pointed out by this girl in North Carolina as having sexually assaulted her, and they went through and were going to court, and these are Duke players. Their parents have money. Two of the attorneys didn't catch it. Thank God the third one did. There was a little, I remember watching the ESPN 30 for 30 short. If you haven't seen it, go back and educate yourself. There's a shameless plug. I don't work for ESPN, but there's a plug for that. Um, there was a symbol, a um, a little marking on a page that raised the curiosity of one of the attorneys. And he, that ended up being a thread that pulled the entire case apart. Because in, a, in summation, this girl made a false accusation against all three of these players the DA knew it, he didn't want to want to bring it up, so they were colluding to be able to cover that up on the stand. The DA eventually got slapped on the wrist, I think he, he might have been disbarred. Uh, he had to do one day, if I recall correctly, in the county jail, that was it. And the girl, I don't know if she ever got in trouble, later on she ended up, uh, Mike, don't quote me on it, I believe this is what happened, she ended up committing murder against a, a later boyfriend. So this girl had, I believe she had mental health issues, but they did not recognize it. And if that attorney, I thought about that watching it, if that one attorney missed that symbol, all three of those boys probably would have went to jail. Now, even though they didn't, here's another thing people don't realize, with with the Internet, it never goes away. If you Google their situation, it always comes back up. All you have to do is Google it.
0: Well, that's the danger of the world we live in. Yeah. And this is why this is such a hard conversation. Cause even me as a therapist who works with women and men in trauma all the time, I'm getting a little annoyed internally, not at you, but at the process of like trying to find trying to have conversations about both sides at the same time. Yes. Because my brain, right, even knowing this and knowing what we're gonna talk about, I'm like, Yeah, but there's a lot of boys who get away with this crap. That's right. Right. And and so it's like one doesn't have to cancel out the other. It doesn't. And that's what I want people to hear. Is like, we're trying to hold two truths at one time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Lots of men and boys and preppy, rich people get away with a lot of stuff. Sure.
1: Jeffrey Epstein.
0: But there are a lot of things that also happen because of systemic problems that people, whole families, not just individuals, suffer for that could be better have we a deeper understanding of the problem. Yes, And that's what we're trying to have a conversation about, the deeper understandings, the nuances of how do people become a certain way so that we can better help them recover, give them better consequences and make sure those things don't happen again. And so that we can prevent them and other children.
1: Yes. What I would say on that is, is I absolutely agree. What I'm hoping, one of the things that come out of it is, is you, have, you can't just take accusations on either side at face value do due diligence, do the research, look for evidentiary um, uh, support of the allegation or whatever, there's too much, we've swung to the point where yes, guys get away with it, I get that, And girls. And girls. There's been times, though, a lot of times when we have, it's actually got a name said, S-A-I-D, sex abuse and divorce cases, where women are just leveraging these accusations against their husband or whatever so that they could get custody of the child. Mm -hmm. So we're seeing it in both ways. Absolutely. I see that we have to be able to do due diligence. And unfortunately, on this side of the equation, what I see is a lot of times, again, the churches. my, what I'm hoping we get a chance to talk about is how do we, what are some things we can do as a church to address this situation instead of just turning the blind eye and just saying, yep, yeah, you, you can't come here. Go away. Because like in North Carolina, we have found that the, the law has gotten to the point where it just says you can't go to any place where children congregate. Well, uh, most churches have a children's program. So uh-huh. we have a lot of people coming out of North Carolina saying, I can't go to church. We're yeah. glad y'all exist. <laughs> I can't even think about going to church. Now, the question then, I've been trying to rack my brain around, and i got to talk to attorneys who are a lot smarter than I am. How do we get around that? Because how do we give that person a church experience, that family a church experience, where maybe, I don't know if there will be home churches at some point. I don't know. I've been asked that. Are y'all going to have physical location? I don't know yet. Right now, I'm just trying to meet a need where I see a need. And if God does what he does, that's great. But, um We've got a couple that leads a life group for us in the evenings on uh, Monday nights and they've got children and they're like, well, I'm thinking one of the things I think about in my brain, how do those kids go talk to other kids about their situation? Mm -hmm. And if they can't talk to someone about their situation, where do we go from the father who has the offense to the wife being able to talk to friends and be real about the impact because she can't. Because her friends probably can't talk to other women or she can't go talk to other women about the issues they deal with specifically with regard to the registry. So where does she find that support? And it becomes so overwhelming that maybe it just rubs the marriage the wrong way and there's a divorce that later happens. We hope that doesn't happen. So we're trying to... Uh, one of the byproducts of this is she understands that there's other women, other spouses. We've given her an opportunity to connect with other wives so they can have a conversation and, and have some dialogue. So she knows she's not alone. The next element down the road that I'm praying that God will make a way to have is how do these kids get the support? Mm-hmm. They can't, my, my children can't go to youth at a church and go, my dad's on the registry, you know, Da da da, da because I was thinking about this the other day, our church, we had a, um, we had some gatherings and stuff. Um, why isn't your dad here? Like, where's your dad? Why isn't your dad at all these functions or something like that? If they're going to ask that question, how does he respond? Mm-hmm. I only have one left at home now. Most
2: of mine are adults, but I've thought about that through the years. Yeah. How do we How do we help the kids? And so in North Carolina, yes, you couldn't even drop your kid off at VBS. Mm-hmm. That's wild to me. Can't be in the proximity. That That you can be working through it and, and is there ever really a way to tell where someone's at in their mental health? No, you can assess it. But the point being, for however long you're on the registry, you couldn't even take your kid to VBS in a state like that.
1: No, and when, even if you come off the registry, Google will just Google my name or something and somebody finds out, it, it, they may persecute you even then, you know, just yeah. because you're not on the registry, just because of your history. Sure. I don't I don't know that to be a fact, but I'm just thinking in those terms.
0: Yeah, one of the things I, I talk about with prevention Sorry, my mind's going like a million miles an hour. Uh, one of the things I talk about with prevention is one of the number one things about offenders mm-hmm. is they don't want to be caught. Mm-hmm. The idea that, let's look at the facts. The situation isn't that, let's say there's 100 people on the registry. How many of those people are going to get out at a school where everybody knows they're on the registry and harm a child? Right. That that's not what we're that's not what happened.
1: Mm-mm. Does
0: that make sense? Like that's not mm-hmm. what the cases
1: are the majority are someone, you know,
0: yeah, somebody you in know, home. a relationship, an inappropriate situation, a lack of boundaries, a lack of whatever. It's not a like random act of sexual abuse. Right. Right. right? Um, can people groom do people? Yeah, of course those things happen. But again, 92% of it is somebody, you know, mm-hmm. it's not a random kid at a school at the drop off. So that matters because we're talking about risk evaluations and we're talking about what is, what is the risk of letting someone who had sex with a 17 year old or 16 year old when they were 18. Now they're 24 and they're still on the 15 years, pick their kid up from school. Right? I think that should be a communal relational conversation between the school and the person in that relationship. Right? So it's both. It's the offender has a responsibility to go and say, listen, here's my situation. Here's what's happening. Here's the recovery I've worked through and am working through and here are my boundaries. And his wife say, or her or, or husband say, yeah, I know about this. I'm on board with this. Mm-hmm. He has been sober for this many years. Here's where he is here. Here's where we are. So we know the risk is like, z- you know, zero to 2% right. that he would ever do anything inappropriate. Now everybody has eyes on him. We're going to watch you when you come to support you and love you and keep you healthy. Now the, the, the school has a a choice and an opportunity to say, okay, well, we've had these conversations and we don't feel like it's inappropriate. We actually feel like it's more harmful to our community and to him and to his children to not let him drop off their children when the risk is less than point whatever percent. Does that make sense?
2: Mm, Perfect sense.
0: So who's having these conversations is the question, right? And I think that's part of doing the podcast is saying these conversations are not complex. No,
2: I would be willing to bet in the entire United States of America, (laughs) there are no three individuals that have maybe ever had this conversation in this way. Uh, I I I think
0: they have it. It's just less
2: than probably.
0: But you want to be publicized having that conversation is another issue.
2: But then but then not only having the conversation, what are we actually going to do about it?
0: Yeah, that's the question.
2: Well, uh, you know, I'll give you an example. Even in this situation, uh, a friend of mine
1: texted me this other day and uh, I'd actually read this already. But uh, this one is a 2020 article uh, about the Southern Baptist Convention talking about you know doing making decisions. They voted to disfellowship a Southern Baptist church in Midland, Texas, because the church was employing a lifetime registered sex offender as the pastor. Mm-hmm. If you're going to be the pastor of a church, don't you have to go before a leadership board, a pastor search committee? They did due diligence, you would assume, Mm-hmm. Before they allowed this man to stand up in front of their congregation and preach to them, I don't know what their congregation was made up of, um, and I do understand where there could be some concerns about this man being a pastor. But I don't. It doesn't list in the article what the safeguards may have been. You know, obviously I wouldn't want him to, or even what tier he was. What tier he was? I wouldn't. If I'm in his shoes, I wouldn't want to be the pastor of a church and then be in close proximity of a bunch of children, especially alone. I would not. I would never put myself in that situation. <laughs> That's kind of what led to me being in that situation was without not having cameras or anything to you know deal with my situation. But um, the fact that an entire large conglomerate like the SBC makes a decision to disfellowship a church because they did what they felt was right—that I, I, blew my mind. I was like, wait a minute, wow. These people know that guy. Unless he committed another offense, which it doesn't say here. And it had been years since I believe he had uh, actually gone through his stuff, uh, dealt with his conviction and and everything. But just to discredit like that just really kind of caught me off guard. Because as being in my role, I'm going, man, I'm sitting here pastoring a group of people online. Could that happen to me?
0: Yeah, the question is repentance. Yes. You know, for me, the question is, is the person, no matter what the sin, but especially in these situations... Are they repentant? Have they gotten, do they know their own story mm-hmm. and why and how this happened to them? Do they have supports emotionally, physically, spiritually around them who also know their story, who also have accountability, who have also given those resources? Has there been enough time for neurological and psychological health and healing and restoration? And then has there been enough evidence and enough, uh, you know, communal viewing of the person and their character and who they are to back that up correct I'm, i mean those are just off the top of my head i need to reread those and write them down but my point is like if all of those are fulfilled what are we doing or the gospel doesn't matter
1: or the gospel's a lie
0: yeah like i mean which i mean of course if the person has no accountability now I'm getting fired up and going eight is the person has, <laughs> welcome to the dark side. <laughs> uh, two to eight. And uh, you know, if the person has no accountability, they haven't been in recovery, yeah. they're not remorseful. Mm-hmm. They make a bunch of excuses. They've done nothing in their life to, you know, do sure. anything to show you that you're not going to change. They shouldn't be in 4,000 million miles of a church or a right. child or anybody else. The question is how do we measure when the damage to the family and the individual, can be over based on the work and repentance and repair of the person. There has to be a measurement for that. And it can't be life and it can't be 15 years and it can't be some nominal number. It should be the number is here to give you a guide. But if these things happen, then the number changes. Sure. Is that, is that reasonable? Am I crazy? I mean,
1: I think is absolutely reasonable. You turn around and you have, how many of us have heard a testimony where, man, i drank drink and I did drugs and all my life and God just delivered me like that. Has he done that in my life? I've not been delivered like right, that. It's, right, it's been a Silver bullet, yeah. Right. But if it happens for someone, okay, but that goes to your time frame. I can't put a time frame on God. Right. Mm-hmm. Who, do, who am I to do that? That doesn't make yeah. sense.
0: Absolutely. Paul's like, this thorn in my side, man, I don't want it. Get rid of it. I do what I don't want to do. I don't want to do the things I want to do. I don't do. Mm-hmm. Now, again, somebody might go, well, that's not child pe- you know, pornography. Or that's not pedophilia. Or that's not sexual abuse of a minor. Maybe, maybe not. Mm-hmm. But the question goes, what did Paul go through to have that thorn?
1: Sure. We don't know.
0: And if you sit with a person and you hear their story, and you hear their heinous behavior, whatever it is, my heinous behavior, Mm -hmm. and I tell you my story, you're going to go, well, that makes sense. Yes. Because now you've told me what happened to you as a kid and as a teenager and what you suffered and the help you didn't get. Because 18 years of that to 20 years of that, you're an innocent baby that the society and the adults around you should be protecting, Mm -hmm. teaching, discipling, modeling because you're a child, and the only reason you have coping skills is because of the people around you and the adults in charge of you. Mm-hmm. So you expect to to go through that for 18 years, and then because you turn a nominal number, it's somewhere between 18 and 25, you just figure it all out and don't make any mistakes along the way. Yeah. And again, whatever it is, right. and I think we're just so harsh because we don't understand what happens to most people between zero and 18. Yes, and that is getting worse and worse and worse. Yes. You know, people love to say society's better and it's more functional and we're living longer. But what we're going through spiritually, emotionally, because of phones and social media and porn and family trauma and family drama is so much worse than it's ever been Mm -hmm. as a whole.
2: But to me, one of the things that sticks out about what you were saying is how the church is, some churches can hide behind the fact that legally there is no measurement for recovery and when someone is no longer the type of threat that they would recommit or a new offense. Yeah.
0: And that's a hard problem.
2: It is. And so the church has the ability to say, well, um, because again, only God knows hearts. None of us do. And so the church saying, well, they're not in a spot or we just don't want to deal with it until society Is willing to do it because the church, most of the churches are going to cower down to the the biggest tithers and they're going to, they don't want to run people off. And so they're not going to support a certain thing, not just. Dude, we're not even going to change the lights or the sound or
0: the stage stuff because of the best tithers yes. we're certainly not going to help out <laughs> sexual abuse or prostitutes or right. pornographers or the the
2: quote-unquote worst of our society the least of these eh? I, I heard a pastor say one time he was talking about <laughs> sorry I've... wanting to rearrange the furniture on the platform and he asked one of the guys he was like how do we do it and he said we're going to move it one inch per year <laughs> and like we're eventually going to get it to the other side of the platform because uh, the stuff okay. people get worked up about but all that to say that that's one of the things that really jeremy and i connected on that his passion for it is to reach the people that can't take their kids to vbs depending on what state they live in imagine how heartbreaking it is every we're all parents that if my eight-year-old comes home from school and i'm on the registry and she says hey daddy can you take me to such and such church they're having vbs this week and to and say you're a single dad maybe mom's not in the picture and you're like no baby I, i can't well, how come I can't go? I want to go to church, but I I can't take you. And it's mm-hmm. like that is is sad to me. And so when Jeremy talked about his online platform and what what God called him to do, I guess t- to me, how can how can we help? What what does Crossroads of Hope need? and, and side note before I, that, he's not just some dude asking for money. Like he's a legit five hundred one c three. This church is a, a real entity. It's not just Hey, we brought this guy on. We want to send money. Like you, you can actually get your write-off form. That so many people. I want to donate to the church yeah. now. Nah, you want the tax break, but whatever. I'm not gonna go there yet. <laughs> go ahead, Jeremy. I'm sorry.
1: Oh man, um, yeah, we actually got our 501c3 last December. So we that was a blessing. Actually, on Christmas Day, I went to the mailbox and it was in my mailbox. I guess it might have come the day before because surely the post office doesn't run Christmas Day. But anyway. Um, It was a Christmas gift to the church. It was great. It was kind of cool how that happened. But anyway, um, so the first thing I would say, not even for us, what my prayer out of this entire podcast is, first off, that the church become educated. If you're in leadership in a church, please do not. And you've been in a position where you're just like, yeah, we don't take them. You've taken your policies and approach to those on the registry. Uh, if you've not done research into this topic, please, I challenge you to do some research and push back on your policy and see if it really makes sense in accordance with the gospel, not with in accordance with your insurance policy, your insurance requirements, with your elders' thought process, with your congregations and how they think. I do understand that could be a little bit of an uncomfortable conversation, but I challenge you it is worth it because there are so many. If you have nearly a million people in the United States on the registry, just think about like the story of the feeding of the 5,000. It's not just 1 million people you're impacting. You're impacting 3 to 5 million people. There is a great need, a great population. 3 to 5 million people in this country is a pretty good number. Um,
2: So I would challenge first off with that. Can you explain that real quick, what you mean by that? What do you mean? The fact that you talk about the five thousand. Yeah. That was five thousand men. Yes. That did not include the women and children and yes. their families that are affected. That's how he went from one million to five million.
1: Yeah. Cause when we I went to Washington, DC in March and got a chance to speak at a conference, and one of the biggest things that I got out of it that I did not expect was there's a lot of this this conference was an advocacy conference for an organization that deals with the um the legal side, the political side of this issue, okay. Um, so they're trying to help adjust laws or, or, you know, facilitate laws being changed on the red, uh, with regards to the registry. Anyway, during that conference, I sat there and got a chance to meet a lot of parents. I met a, um, I met a man. It was, it was, this one was kind of emotional. So I met a lady, we were talking and the, her son had served in the air force got online and apparently viewed child pornography. He could not deal with the consequences. He was put in the brig and just felt the weight of guilt and shame and I guess whatever other persecution he felt he was undergoing at the time and he took his own life. And to listen to this young lady, this mom, the weight of her heart as her other son stood next to her it, it just tore me down it, mm-hmm. i felt for her so well, when, it's common man it is but that's why i say we think about the registrant but yeah. this mother who thinks about her yeah her support the brother who thinks about his support if this young man had been older what about his if he had been married his wife what about the children that they may have um you know when I came home one of the first things I was I had to come home on probation I did it for three years and the first thing they told me is I can't live with my kids I said that's not in my sentencing transcript I had no offense towards my children whatsoever there's nothing here why is that and it's because you now you put my wife in a position of having to choose live with my husband or live with our children and thankfully my father took in our children and you know he lives a mile down the road so I was blessed to have at least that but my wife would go down and visit the kids and then come home and visit us or stay with me. And she had to do that. Why, what did she do? Why is she put in that position? Mm-hmm. Those are the things I'm talking about. When I say, when we see a million people in the registry, there's so many other people impacted. So that would be what I'm asking, you know, getting back to that. If you're in church leadership, I challenge you to really do some soul searching, I pray you're not just blowing off this podcast because it's a topic that's uncomfortable. It's a topic that, you know, is taboo because God forbid we preach pornography from the pulpit. We, you know, we need to address this. It's not an issue that's going away. And if, and if I may even dare to say this, you probably have someone in your congregation out there that is watching pornography and possibly on the precipice of committing an offense unknowingly or knowingly. And you have the opportunity to speak into a life right now that you don't even know you're speaking into that may actually even save someone from becoming a victim of sexual abuse. But if you sit there and do nothing and you refuse to address this issue in your congregations, you, in my opinion, and I'm sorry, I don't want to step on toes, but I have to say it, you are culpable in the offense at that point. And I don't want that to happen. We have to stop this cycle. So please have courage, have courage. And, Go out there and make a difference in your churches and your congregations. Um, does that help in that part?
2: Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah, it's good. I mean, I think money <clears throat> money is the thing, too, that gets things moving. And so mm-hmm. I think knowing that, understanding that, hopefully listening to this podcast and hearing the nuances of it and having our hearts kind of broken for people. I mean, I think that's right. ultimately what I want is, like, I want us to just have a, a tender heart, not a mm-hmm. heart of stone to go, okay, you know, you said that seventeen-year-old kid again. Mm-hmm. Who was he going to go to to tell that?
1: You can't because of mandatory reporting requirements. If he goes to counseling for it, you have to report it, yeah, right? Or you're held as an as a therapist, you're held legally. Vial. Yeah, I think
0: I think there's some wiggle room in the sense of because I've had these cases. I think if you've downloaded child pornography mm-hmm. and shared it, mm-hmm. then you're a mandated reporter. I think if you've viewed it, you're yeah. not necessarily mandated to report. Um, I have to check it. I've called. It's it's a very gray area. Because I've had that. I've had yeah. clients that I've seen that you know have struggled with porn. Because here goes the question, right? I mean, we're getting off on a tangent, but you know, were you intentionally looking for it? Did right. you get a uh, Did you get a message about it? Did you just see it? How long did you look at it? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you know, w- what's the felony here, right? What right. is there a kid being harmed? Are they currently doing it? Is it a live situation? You know, it, there's so much nuance. And we work a lot with cops. We see several cops and and police officers that uh, they're the guys who literally have to watch Mm -hmm. these videos, you know, so that they can do the arrest and see that. I mean, and they need intense psychological help just from watching secondary. And they they get like counseling once a year is what's given to them by the police department. You know, so it's like. This issue, not understanding the nuances of sexual trauma, sexual health, sexual abuse, and the lack of discipleship in that area, that's really the root problem that we're all trying to get mm-hmm. to in this conversation. Mm-hmm. And that's the prevention. Yeah. And the church is culpable. We are culpable if we don't dis- disciple our kids in that way. And and that's I did a TED Talk recently on sexual neglect. That is neglectful. Mm-hmm. Right. When I ask a church, you know, what's the cornerstone of your, your congregation and they say marriage and I say when's the last time you did a marriage retreat? and they tell me fifteen years ago that's neglectful. Yes. Mm-hmm. I think it's neglectful to do it one time a year. Yeah. I feel like there's you know, four hundred counselors in Treeport who would love to do a marriage retreat once a quarter for churches so that the people who couldn't go in October can go in Jan like sure. Like, that's all in the same systemic problem as a church is that we're there's so much more and there's so many more people willing to help and resource. And so, maybe you don't want to do it as a church. Maybe you're like, I can't do that. We're not getting into that. You're stepping up and saying, Then I will, I will just help me out.
1: I will. And that's right? what we, yeah, absolutely. That's why we exist. I'm not there to compete with the churches out there, which for, for some reason, a lot of churches have this competition mentality. It's really changed since gotta I was a kid. Those, gotta buy those new vans, man. Gotta get those <laughs> new sound boards. It's crazy. But uh, it's not supposed to be that way, but um, we're all trying to accomplish the same thing. We're all trying to share the gospel. Um, so I've just been crazy enough to say yes. And I say crazy because I, look, many of, if you're a pastor on here, you're listening to this, you've gone through a lot more education and probably spent a lot more time in a pulpit than me. But we're all together and should be together and united in the fact that we all said yes. And whatever that is.
0: Wasn't um, that the problem with the disciples, right? Yeah. Yeah. They were yeah. all, they were all really knowledgeable theologians who went to grad school. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, the Pharisees, they were like, it's funny because a lot of fishermen, these fishermen sitting on the bank, the guy comes by and says, come on, man. And you're like, okay. And the guys that should have known we're all educated, missed the mark, not only missed the mark, but sent him to, the cross get what are instrumental even the roman government they did not want to send him to the cross i find no fault with him right but it was the church leaders that said no you crucify we'll take barabbas give him that give us that guy you yeah it was crazy and are we not doing the same thing in a sense now i'm not i don't mean this i'm not god jesus or anything like that. i'm not saying that i don't want that to be misconstrued but are we not doing that to a human being still to this day they were just turning a blind eye crucify him crucify him send him out there he did something horrible crucify him put him cast him out of the community how does that how's that sharing the gospel how is that being the hands and feet of christ it's not and so if you're i understand if you feel like you don't want to do it that's fine um i can understand your difficult certain circumstances what I would ask is if you're not comfortable doing it, we are, and Crossroads of Hope exists for that very purpose. And what we're looking to do, give you an overview, is not number one. We're sharing the gospel every Sunday. We have two services going on. We're online. Crossroads of Hope Church is our website. Um, We go on there and it's done over a feed. So most of my weeks, I find time to go record material, record sermons, putting them together. If you're a pastor and you have material, I welcome that material as well, because at least at this point, it's hard to do the administrative side and be able to have time to put together messages. So, um, you know, I've got a few pastors that have allowed us to use their material. And so might do a series out of there while I'm doing administrative and then prepping my own stuff. Um, So that's how we do that. We have worship, things of that nature. Um, big picture though, where we, the meat and potatoes, what we want to accomplish is being able to, I call it the pro plan. I want to do prison outreach. First off, how do we, if a man gets arrested, you, he, is he not at his most broken point? Hopefully right then. I want to be able to connect with them as early in that process as possible. I'm not there for legal advice. I'm not there for that, but you I'm there for spiritual guidance and advice. Our team wants to be able to support that individual and we want to grow volunteers and and have more as we grow that. But I've got a few guys on my phone that, uh, through ads that we put through that go, uh, the Narsal digest, which goes into some of the prisons we've had some responses. And so I have email correspondence that I reach out with them. Um, so through that we want to connect with them through that process and then once most of them are not going to do life in prison So they're gonna come home at some point. So that's the R, the reentry phase. How do we help come alongside them through the housing and employment opportunities there? We wanna be able to connect with resources and and organizations that have those resources. I don't need to reinvent the wheel. I can't afford to reinvent the wheel, but if you know of employment opportunities or housing opportunities for the people of this community, that is where we need help is just, I I would love to have that information so that I could have it there when they call and they go, hey man, I'm, I'm fixing to get home. I don't know where to go. I've got a friend that's about to get out uh, September 1st I'm trying to help him find housing right now so uh, luckily I can hire guys without a background check and so I told him in worst case scenario I can hire you I can get you a job at least put money in your pocket because if you're not aware of this when you when a man comes home and he has to be on the registry or a woman or a woman yes I'm sorry most of them are men but yes thank you for correcting me when an individual comes home and has to be on the registry Immediately, you have to come up with approximately $500 because you have to put an ad in the Shreveport Times, the Caddo Citizen, I believe it is, and the Inquisitor. Then you have to pay the postcard fees to be able to mail them out. In Shreveport, it's even a little bit more. I'm outside the city limits. Inside the city limits, I think it may be another $100. I don't know for a fact, but it's approximately about $500. Now, you haven't worked in how long? Where'd that money just come from? So we're trying to, if you don't do it, you have, I think, three weeks to do it or they could re-arrest you. Mm Mm-hmm. The offender incurs the cost to send that out yes I and I have that. to do the mail outs and all. I have to do that every five years it's about $500 every five years um, if he's on probation he's got to pay fees probation fees so you're already out $500 plus you got to come out about $75 a month on that and it, you didn't even got a job yet mm-hmm. how are we setting this man up for success or woman up for success it, it's, it's a recipe for disaster I'm not asking the church to pay the fees. I'm asking you to help us with resources that we can get these people employed. Asking you to help us get resources that they can get housing. If they it, housing is an issue, you know, you, I don't know if you're aware of this, but you can't uh, mo- if they don't have money. I gotta find low cost housing. Most of your affordable housing in this area would be what mobile homes mm-hmm. can't live there. It's a mobile home park by definition can't live or can't be at a park. Wow, it's wild. It is. So that eliminates a lot. Uh, what about apartment complexes? No, probably not gonna be allowed there because they'll background check you and you're done. So it's hard for these guys if you live within certain uh, distances of parks, can't do that, within schools, can't do that. Daycare centers can do that. Johnny Joe ha- or Susie Q has a daycare out of her home and I don't know that and I move in within a certain distance, I could be arrested and put in jail because I violated. There's a lot of things people aren't aware of and it doesn't set these guys up for, or, and ladies for success. How do we help? and uh, part of that is education. So we, being in that realm and dealing with it on a regular basis, that's what we're trying to help with. We're more knowledgeable in that situation. We just ask for the resources to be brought. If you have a company and you're willing to hire these folks, let us know. If you have if you're have rental homes and you're willing to rent out, let us know. Those are the things that we really need help with. Um, then the other part is uh, ongoing support. Um, it's one thing to re-transition a person back into society but then they just need that ongoing support. Um, that's, those, that's what it looks like from the registrant perspective. We also wanna take it and think bigger than the perspective, uh, the, just the registrant. I'm very big on that. Um, one of my things is watching marriages hopefully heal through this because there's so many people broken by it. Um, we actually, I just went to DC again in May. I had a lady reach out to us. She works for a nonprofit called Under Grace, um, and so our Grace Ministries, and it's undergrace.org, and they do a lot of work with counseling stuff like that. And um, I love the structure that they've done. A lot of folks can't afford counseling, so they don't go. Mm-hmm. They do a lot of fundraising and and get support in that way, so that they partner. They have people on staff that these people, if you can't afford it they can scholarship you. The point is we want you to get the counseling. And so they come alongside these folks and they help provide support counseling for them. And uh, Sherry is, uh, Marchand is her name. She, her husband's on the registry. And she goes, I just wanna offer this service because I would love to help women be able to uh, betrayal support group. That they can do their Zoom Zoom calls, stuff like that, and so that allowed us to have a resource for ladies to come and connect. Like I said earlier, if they um, ha- feel like they've been betrayed by their husband, their husband's on the red or not, doesn't matter in that sense. But if they felt betrayed, maybe you cheated on her, or whatever, mm-hmm. they come together
2: and offer support. So, th- well, we would love to help you with that. However, we can do that'd the, be great the online thing. Yes, and and real quick because I know Clint's the one that'll, that'll wrap us up. I just want to issue the challenge to. To the, those of you who are Christians who are listening to this podcast, ask the Holy Spirit if you don't already feel a tug. And you may not; it may not be something you're called to to give to or to in, to to be involved with. But don't make the decision out of the flesh. Ask the Holy Spirit: Is this something that I want to get involved in? Is this something that our church wants to get involved in? And and the Holy Spirit will give you a yes or no if you ask the question and you and you listen. So. That would be my challenge is just for the hope of the church again as a, as a biblical counselor wanting as many people to, to hear the gospel as possible and the families just pray about it before you just say nope don't want anything to do with that yeah. because you're not even allowing the holy spirit time to to help soften your heart towards not just this ministry but any other ministry that you may want to consider yeah.
0: That's good, man. Well, one, I know we gotta wrap up, but thanks for coming on. Thank you. Thanks yes. for telling your story and being brave. Um, thanks for being a model of the gospel. Um, we all are. Yeah. We all fall short. You know, yeah. me and Andy have our own histories and stories and stuff and yes. I could easily have, you know, been in either one of your shoes and vice versa, I'm sure. And so I think that's what we have to, to know as Christians is that, you know, we can sing these songs about come as you are and you know, and pastors can preach mm. sermons and say, it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how, how bad your sin, the gospel <laughs> outweighs, you know, that's true. It's yeah. a, that That is a true story about the gospel, but does it apply to all things? Right. Yes. And yes, it applies to all things, but also it, we know that there need to be parameters and structures and boundaries, sure. and it's not a free for all. And it's not a, you wouldn't do that. You shouldn't do that with anything. Right. You know, whether it's alcoholism or drug addiction or, uh, you know, on the sex offender registry or what, pornography, whatever it is. There needs to be those things that I talked about earlier, you know, that, that have the structure to know if the risk is high or low. Yep. We're all agreeing in that. Right. But when we don't, when we just say, no, I'm not going to deal with this because it's hard or it's messy or I already know what it is. And we don't even really know what it is. We can't define it. We can't talk about it. We won't even listen to a podcast about it. Right. That's a million people plus their kids and their parents and their siblings, you're talking about 5 million people in our country, if not more, more. that we can
1: help Mm -hmm. in the recovery and in the Ministry of Reconciliation that we've been given. And that number is just those on the registry, right? Right. That's not including those that are incarcerated that haven't got out to be on the registry yet. So that number is likely gonna grow. There is a need The mail outs, you know, I still would like to get those because it's hard to get in touch with folks. Mm -hmm. It really is. It's a challenge. Uh, If they're not willing to get out and do things, I'd have to go door knock on 13,000 homes in Louisiana. That's a lot of doors in in America, that's a million. How do we reach them? And so being able to get that out and it's, I was (laughs) just to think about it. It's about 50 cents a card at least on bulk mail. You're talking five hundred thousand dollars to reach every person on the registry in America just to yeah. get them word out and let them know we exist. That's a lot of money. Yeah. So I, you know, I've got to take an elephant-eating approach we'll on stick this. Stick Louisiana. Yeah, yeah. Let yeah. me let me just get a toe here. <laughs> you know, that elephant's huge. It's good, but man. Uh, but we can do this. We can do it, and I, we need your help as the churches and the, and the ministries is to really be truly be the hands and feet. Don't be afraid if a person is a registrant; they're not. I can guarantee you. low the recidivism rate is not what they're telling you it's not 80 percent. it's actually one of the lowest lowest recidivism once what did you say earlier they don't want to get caught when a person's issues are exposed it changes most of those individuals and if, if we can offer a path to healing it makes your it helps the individual yes but it makes your community safer it you know about the issue you've identified the issue the person the individual that means you should be more eyes are aware of the issue and your kids can be live a safer life and even more important you can start to break generational curses absolutely
0: that's a key and i will say this just to wrap up i've seen churches do this well Mm -hmm. so i know we push back a little bit on the church as a whole but i've seen churches do things well i've seen churches deal with child pornography abuse cases betrayal trauma really well the gospel the church is the answer to these solutions we just have to be educated and equipped and so i I challenge us to do that thank you for coming on thank you guys for listening to a tough conversation andy thanks for being back with us and all your hard work
2: yeah i'm I'm hoping for the asking why with andy and clint podcast
0: there we go yeah (laughs) one day one day we'll get there uh we have we'll have one for each of us yeah uh thank you all for listening god bless you and have a good week